magkakapatid. We are a family of five siblings. My mother is pregnant with her sixth child. Life has been very difficult for us. Our house is cramped and covered with just a plastic roof. We get soaked whenever it rains, and it is next to a smelly drainage. My father used to have a steady job, but now all he gets are small odd jobs. Some days he tries to sell packets of spices. All we had to eat was rice with salt and water. Sometimes we could add soy sauce. We live a difficult life. My husband worked long hours but could not earn enough. We could only afford to buy half or just a quarter of the amount of rice that we need. Sometimes my husband and I would not eat just so our children could. It was very hard. I feel sad and cry when I thought of my brothers and sisters. They had nothing to eat, and we often went to bed with empty stomachs. It is difficult because we could not sleep. I would lay awake at night thinking of things to do to make money. The night is long when you cannot sleep. They can't withstand hunger. They would ask for more food, but we don't have any food left to give. It seemed nothing would ever change. But then it did. Rika was elected to be part of the children's feeding program with Kamboy of Hope. Kamboy of Hope helps us in so many ways. They give us food bags and groceries. From Monday to Friday, they serve rice porridge and egg. Sometimes fruit like bananas or fried fish fritters. We'll even have chocolate rice porridge. I'm happy for my brothers and sisters because we all have nutritious food. They give us enough for all of us to eat. The feeding program helps us so much without expecting anything in return. Kamboya Pope has helped the kids with their studies, provided blankets, thrown Christmas parties, and made sure we have what we need. Sometimes I volunteer so I can give back to the organization that has changed our lives. I want to be a teacher because I want to help the children in the streets who are just like me. Just keep going, keep fighting. As long as we're living, we can keep going. Gamboy of Hope has changed my life. My family is much happier, and so am I. And now, I am able to sleep. 
For decades, Convoy of Hope has continued to impact thousands of people in communities like this through children's feeding programs, agricultural training, women's empowerment initiatives, and disaster relief. Convoy of Hope is making an enormous impact throughout the world. You can be part of this movement by joining in the One Day to Feed the World campaign by giving one day's wages. You turn your daily work into action. Your one day transforms their every day. Thank you for supporting the mission of Convoy of Hope and bringing hope to communities around the world. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. Now, you were so excited during the worship time. Don't go dead on me. All of a sudden, I look at him and like, what's he going to say? Uh, the ushers have something I want them to pass out to every family. A family represents if you're one person or you've got 20, you're a family. I'm going to ask them to pass this out. It looks just like this. Now, how many of you read at least one book per week? Two of you. So thrilled. Okay, you're going to read a whole book this week. Okay, and you're going to come back and say, Pastor, I read a whole book in one week. And so they're going to bring these to you, and I'm going to talk about them in just a few moments. So if you'll take those in your hand and don't open them, don't go through them. I want to walk it through with you during that period of time. I sincerely appreciate your pastors. They are phenomenal. Amen. And I believe he is God's man and woman. Because I learned this pastoring over 30 years. I did not pastor by myself. My wife walked with me hand in hand. And then his team that works alongside him. Pastoring and leading and shepherding in this church. God has placed him here as a man of God. God has placed them here as a family of God to say, as we follow Christ, follow us. And I praise God for your shepherds. I praise God for what they're doing. Amen. And I would love to be here next week for Jersey Day. That powder blue has never beat the Crimson Tide in a long time. I'm from Alabama. I'm sorry, folks. Matter of fact, I have a picture with your new coach, me and him. Five seconds later, he is 10 foot away from me when I told him, I root for Tennessee every week except for the third Saturday in October. And he looked at me and he said, I cannot believe I just took a picture with an Alabama fan. <laughs> you don't tell them that before you're taking the picture, you wait to afterwards so that you've got the proof that you were standing there with him, talking with him, and being with him. And uh, I, I, my wife normally travels with me 95 to 99% of the time. Today, we had to divide and conquer, conquer because Saturday, uh, Friday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, my daughter-in-law gave birth to a brand-new baby boy. And... Uh, My son pastors in South Nashville, and so my wife is preaching for him this morning. And I'm here, and I'm sorry, you probably would have loved having her a lot more than me, but you got me. 
I'm sorry, but she is getting ready to preach there in just a few minutes, and I am here to share about Convoy, but I'm going to share the Word of God with us as well. So all of you should have this in your hand. First of all, if you open it up, there's a little sticker that's just like this. Now, sad to say, we're going to have to reprint them because the white doesn't come out, come out well, but this week, as you're at work, at work or school, put this on your lapel, your shirt, whatever. People come up to you, what are you doing? Say, today I'm working to feed a child somewhere around the world. Gives you the opportunity to share with them what your church is doing to touch lives of children, literally, that, like Rekha that we just saw, impacting her life there in the Philippines, uh, right now, we're feeding 116,000 children in, uh, the, in Haiti. Uh, we're feeding other children around the world. When Marsha and I started with Convoy of Hope <clears throat> uh, 12 and a half years ago, we were feeding 18,000 children. 12 years later, we're now feeding 465,000 children on every school day. I wish I could say... That's coming out of my pocket. Now, I'm feeding five of them every month because I'm believing for five grandchildren. <laughs> and each one, of them, I've already got four now. And so I'm, my daughter said, it's going to be your, my brother. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're believing for five children for $120 literally for a year. We're able to feed a child. Not only do we feed them, but we make sure they're educated. We make sure they have the proper clothing, clothing proper um, medical attention. We make sure, number one, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And we are seeing radical things happen in children's lives. Because we believe God has a purpose and plan for every child. We believe God has a calling for some of those children. When I say calling, I mean they're called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like one young lady, her name is Patricia, who was literally left in the garbage heap to die after being gang raped in the streets of Haiti. But she was found by one of the orphanages that we work with. Today, Patricia has graduated out of the orphanage. She is now in college, and God has given her a purpose and a plan for her life to become a medical doctor, to go back into the very streets that she was abused and bring the good news of Jesus Christ through medical care. Praise God, folks. Another young man that uh, he should not be alive. So emaciated from hunger that even the animals wouldn't eat him because he was so skin and bones. He did not have the physical strength to fight the animals off in the streets. But one of our orphanages found him. When he was 16, I asked him, I said, what do you believe God wants you to be with your, do with your life? He looked at me with the biggest smile and he said, 
I believe God wants me to be the first spirit-filled president of Haiti. <laughs> Today he's finishing up his degree in college in political science, and I believe God is going to elevate him to that level, and God is going to use that young man. A little guy that was sitting on my lap, I, I met him whenever he was only uh, four months old. They called him a little Superman because when the earthquake happened, the building that he was in collapsed on top of him. The only thing was that hurt was hurt with his little arm. But they pulled him out. Throughout his life, he's had tremendous adversity. But as he was sitting on my lap when he was six, and uh, he was eating a mango, and it was just pouring down his face onto my pants on, and it was just phenomenal watching him. I looked at him, and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Of course, I don't speak Creole, but uh, I had my interpreter there, and all of a sudden, he got the biggest smile on his face, and he said, I want to be a preacher. I said, why do you want to be a preacher? He said, because preachers always make sure I eat. And I'm saying that to you because next Sunday when pastors give you an opportunity to give, you're not giving to an organization. You're giving to touch a life, to see them touch with the power of God and lives being changed. I want you to pray about that. Now, in the back of this little booklet, you have this offering. Now, I know people go, I hate going to church because they tell me what I can't do. I'm going to tell you two things you don't do. One, you do not put your tithe in this envelope. Your tithe belongs to the church. It does not go to Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope wants you to know with everything within us, we do not want your tithe. So don't do that. Secondly, don't write a check to Convoy of Hope. Write your check to your church. Or if you're doing it online, do it online to the church, not to Convoy Vote. Put on there my one-day offering. Whether it's a check, whether it's cash, whether it's uh, through your online giving. But you'll notice on here, it says, how to find out what your one-day would be. If you are a person that um, you get a salary, you're not paid by the hour. It lists there. And, and you know, I, I look at this and I go, whoa. Who's the $500,000 annual wage earner? <laughs> Boy, that's good. But you know what? Jesus not only commended those who gave small amounts, but he also looked at those who gave great amounts, such as Zacchaeus when he came out of that tree. And he said, I'm going to give it back. Not only to the poor, but to those I've even done wrong. But he also saw that widow that gave her widow's might. If you're an hourly wage earner, you have it broken down there for you. So we encourage you, just do that so you understand what your one day to feed the world is and what God can do through your life. How do you believe God wants to do something through you? He wants to do something impactful in your life. 
Right now, Convoy is responding extremely heavily to the Ukraine crisis that has happened there. We have a warehouse in Poland. We have a warehouse in Ukraine itself, and we're ministering to uh, Ukrainian refugees as they come across the border, or we're ministering to the Ukrainians in Ukraine through pastors that are working hand in hand there with us. And we've already touched well over 300,000 people coming in and out of Ukraine as a whole. We're also ministering to people right now in Jackson, Mississippi, in Clinton, Mississippi, that are affected by that massive flooding that is taking place. So many people are displaced in uh, Mississippi, and we're reaching out to them and helping them walk through that journey. In Kentucky, whenever the tornadoes took place right before Christmas, convoy was there. Right here in Tennessee, whenever the Waverly floods took place, convoy was there. When the, when the tornadoes hit Nashville and went on into uh, Cookville, convoy was there across Tennessee ministering to people because we respond to natural disasters wherever they happen in the world. Last year, we responded to 60, 62 natural disasters. Now, if you add that up, that's more than one per week. That's a lot of work. <laughs> that didn't include the smaller disasters we were working in. What to expect? I've got 22 minutes. In 18 minutes, I'm going to bring my message to a close. The worship team is going to walk up here when I hit 18 minutes. Then in that next five minutes, it's your time to respond to the Holy Spirit speaking to your life. Not through an offering. But I believe God wants to deal with you and speak to you in a very powerful way. I want to, I want to encourage you to do three things within your life. One, become a consistent person of the Word. Listen, friends, the word of God is the yes and the amen of heaven. Heaven and earth, Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Both his rhema word, the spoken word, and the logos word, the written word, it will not pass away. So first, become a person of the word. And by the way, the word will answer every question you have in your life. Secondly, become a people of prayer. Yes, collective prayer, but individual prayer. Passionately seeking the heart of God. What was the one thing the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to do? He, they said, teach us how to pray. We have that wonderful outline of prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And I believe it is an outline that Jesus gave to us, not for us to pray in 21 seconds, but to us, for us to pray through it. And literally, if you begin to pray through it and you see what God is saying, you can literally take an hour, two hours to pray. Third, become passionate for a sovereign move of God. Jesus made this promise to us. He said, the things that you have seen me do, you will do also. Amen. 
He raised the dead. He opened blinded eyes. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the deaf to hear. He caused a little bit to be made much. You say, well, that was back then. Jesus doesn't do that anymore. I'm here to tell you, Jesus does it every day. God gave me the opportunity to pray for three different individuals to be raised from the dead, and they did. And I'll tell you something, it wasn't me. I have had the opportunity to pray with a person, and, and the, by, by the way, two of, the, two of those happened here in the United States of America. While I was pastoring, a man came to, a, came to our service and sat there in front of me, and he said, I asked him, I said, what do you want me to pray for you about? He said, I've been in a wheelchair for 14 years. I've been paralyzed from my hips down. I want to walk. I will be honest with you. I prayed a very anemic prayer. God, you know his heart. <laughs> you said you'd give the desires of your heart. And I moved on. How many of you ever prayed those kind of anemic prayers? A couple of minutes, a couple of seconds later, I was standing there and a tap came on my shoulder and I turned and there stood the man. He said, can I walk now? I said, can I walk with you? I watched that man run up and down the aisles. 14 years he had been a, para, he had been a, a, a paraplegic. 14 years and God raised him up out of that wheelchair. We prayed with a young lady at our altars on a Wednesday night. I know that's strange to have prayer time on a Wednesday night. I even go to church on Wednesday night. But we had a young lady, we had a young lady come to our church that... She had gone into a wrong relationship as a young lady and married a man that she should have never married. And that man became extremely abusive to her. Even after having two children, she was still brutalized. The last time he physically brutalized her, she was lying unconscious and he kicked her with the steel-toed boots in this side of the head, causing her skull to fracture a bone going into the main uh, artery, going into the brain. By the time they got her to the hospital, they thought she was going to die, but they began to do an operation, drilled three holes in her skull, and they began to uh, put a needle in there and drain the blood off. She recovered. She moved back home. She was lying there, right in the... She would come to church, but she lived with excruciating headaches. She had to go to the doctor every two days and they would put that needle in one of the three holes and pull the blood out. She was also blind in that eye. On that Wednesday night, she was standing there and praying. She told me, she said, I know I felt the presence of God. She went home that night. She told her daughter, she said, I believe God's healed me. She said, Mom, can you see? She said, no. Mom, can you, are the headaches gone? She said, no. She said, why do you think you're healed? She said, because I know God touched my body. That next morning, she woke up screaming. Her children came in. She put her hand over her good eye. She told them exactly what she was wearing, what they were wearing. She told them exactly the headaches when it left in the middle of the night. She went to her doctor. 
And she was being studied by the LSU, uh, a team at LSU in uh, Baton Rouge. She went over there. They kept saying to her, we don't understand, we don't understand. Because they did the MRI, they did the x-ray. Not only had God healed her, but you could not even find a place on her skull where it was fractured. God is a God of miracles. We saw individuals who people in that community would have said were totally unsavable. Come to our altars and get saved. One young lady was kicked out of Germany. She was an American citizen, kicked out of Germany because of the witchcraft that she was involved in and all the things that she was uh, involved in. She was flown to our city. She was let out. She was led off of the plane by federal marshals with her hands cuffed and her, uh, her legs shackled. They brought her to our church, uncuffed her, gave her to one of our associate pastors. When I gave the altar call that Sunday morning, that young lady who was filled with the devil, walked to the front, and God miraculously set her free. Somebody would have told us she is unsavable, but God said, I can save even the least of these. Today, she is a youth pastor's wife. God is the God of the miraculous. God is the God that is unstoppable, my friends. He is the unstoppable God. My friends, the unstoppable God who demonstrates his reckless love to our lives every day. Hal Donaldson, who is the founder of Convoy of Hope and still the president, said these words, God had to do a work in my heart before he could do a work with my hands. If you want God to do something with you outside the four walls of this church, God's got to do something here. God's got to make a relational change with you between him and you so that you can have a relational change with those who are out there. John chapter 13, verse 12 through 17 says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God has called every one of us to serve others. God has called us to be a servant, to minister to other individuals, wherever they may be. Folks, this was a reckless moment for Jesus. He was literally taking the place of the lowliest servant of the house. He was saying, everyone else here is above me because I'm going to kneel down and wash every one of your feet. That's the reckless love of God. Where he says, I lay aside my status. I lay aside my abilities to be the leader to serve. The reckless love of God is when you leave the 99 and go after the one. Jesus told that parable of the lost sheep. He shared that parable. It's found in Matthew chapter 
18, verse 12 through 14. Convoy is about leaving the 99 in security and going after the one. Lake Charles, Louisiana. Massive hurricane comes blowing, blowing through. Almost 90% of that entire region had evacuated. Calcasieu Parish, Cameron Parish in that region. But a lady was left by herself with her two children. Her husband had deserted her a week before, left her with no car, just left her in the house, and had, she had no resources at all. She could not leave. There's a huge backstory to it. Her name is Diane. I happened to meet Diane. I had gone into a bank there in uh, Lake Charles, needing to get a check, get a check deposited at that bank. And she said, come in here. I'd forgotten my checkbook. I'd forgotten my uh, account number. So she brought me into her office. She was the manager of the bank. And she said, well, what are you doing down here? I said, I work with a ministry called Convoy of Hope. Immediately, tears began to flow out of her face. I said, what's wrong? She said, nothing's wrong. She says, because of Convoy of Hope, today I'm alive. And today I'm a believer. I said, what happened? She said, when that hurricane began to blow through, she said, I was the number one pessimist of the world. I told my children, tonight we die. This hurricane will blow our house down. She said, as the winds began to pick up, she said, I began to hear the trees all around our house breaking and snapping. And she said, I told my children, it's getting ready to happen. One of these trees is going to fall on this house and crush us. Before long, she no, no longer heard the cracking of the trees because the trees had all fallen, but none of them had hit the house. She went to the front door and looked. She said, kids, it's not looking good. The water's rising. It's already up to the front, already up to our top step on our house. We're going to die from the flooding. God stopped the water before it even came across the threshold. She then told her kids, well, we didn't die from the trees, didn't die from the winds, didn't die from the water, but we're going to die because the alligators and snakes are going to kill us. It didn't happen. The next morning, and she told me this, she said, I, because of all the things that had happened in my life, because of the abuses that had taken, in my, taken uh, part in my life, I told God, you don't exist any longer. She says, I was an atheist. She said, but I stood out on my foot porch and I prayed a very sarcastic prayer and said, okay, if you're a God, we've got to have food and water. She walked it back into her house and told her kids, sorry, kids, we didn't die from the winds, didn't die from the trees, didn't die from the water, didn't die from the snakes, but we're going to die from starvation. She all of a sudden felt something shaking her house. And she thought, great, an earthquake. <laughs> she was a pessimist. But the shaking stopped and she walked out on the front porch and a truck had pulled up on a convenience store right up beside her house. She walked over there in the, in the water, waist deep. She said, what are you doing here? He said, we heard there were people here that still needed food and water. We've come to make sure you have food and water until everything is restored. She said, who are you? He said, we're Convoy of Hope. She said, it was at that moment she knelt down at the tire of that trailer and cried out to God and said, you are 
a true God. Forgive me of my sins. You see, Jesus saw the one that was out there. The 99 were safe. They had left, they had left Calcasieu Parish. They had left Caribbean Parish. They had evacuated. But there was still one, and Jesus said, I know there's one out there. And he said, I'm going to send a tractor trailer load full of water and food because there's a girl praying a very sarcastic prayer, but I'm going to answer her prayer. <laughs> Folks, God is still in the prayer answering business. Jesus in his unstoppable love, he stopped and touched the lepers. <laughs> what were they? They were the untouchables. They were the ones nobody else wanted to be around. They were the individuals that individual turn, individuals turned their back on. <laughs> I was in Haiti, and we were going to a school that we had never fed anybody in that school before. This was going to be the first day. Because most of the kids would have to walk up to two hours through the mountains to get there. There was only about 20 would go to that school, but we heard, they heard because there was going to be food, over 200 were going to show up that day. That 200 children were looking at us as we pulled up into that mountainous school. Pastors are standing there looking, and I'm looking, and out of the corner of my eye, I see somebody running down the uh, road, and it's, it's on a steep incline, and this person is running at breakneck speed. And I think, well, it's one of the children. They're, they're a little bit late. They'll get in here in just a moment. But I looked out of the corner of my eye again, and that person was running pretty hard, but he wasn't slowing down, and he was running, looked like, right at me. And I turned and it was a teenage boy, looked to be about 16, totally naked. Now, I don't know about you, but if my little grandson jumps out of the bathtub and runs to me, I'm going to pick him up. But when a 16-year-old naked boy runs at me, <laughs> that's something else. All the kids at the school are looking at us because many of them had never even seen a white person. And this is strange to them. And they're looking at us. They have no expression on their face. And as that boy gets closer to me, I realize there's getting ready to be a collision with him and me. And he throws out his arms like this. In my mind, I'm going, just pivot and let him go on by. <laughs> and that still saw voice of God goes, embrace him. In my mind, I'm going, tackle him because he's running pretty fast. Well, just as soon as he got to me, I braced myself. I wrapped my arms around him, embraced him, and literally we began to spin down the hill. And as we're spinning, I look down where the children are, the biggest smile on their face. You see, this young man was, had mental issues, so did his mother. They had become basically the mascots of the community because I reached out and embraced that young man. They knew they could trust me. Some would have seen him almost like the lepers, a little untouchable. But when I embraced him, the children knew they could trust me. And when I walked down there and we began to feed all the children that day, I watched children as they would take a little bit, put it in their mouth, 
take a handful and put it in their pocket. Take a handful and put it in their mouth. Take a handful and put it in their pocket. I called my interpreter over, Mano, and I said, Mano, why are those children putting food in their pocket? He said, I don't know. He walked over and asked them. He came back, tears are flowing down his face. He said, oh, pastor, they're putting food in their pocket because they don't know when they'll eat again. And so they want to take some with them. I said, get those children's attention, please. 200 children sitting there. And I said, kids, listen to me. Me and these pastors, we want to make you a guarantee. Every day you're in school, you will eat. You do not have to put food in your pockets. When you leave on Friday, we're going to give you a backpack. It's going to have food that you're going to be eating throughout the weekend. Something happened I was not prepared for. Have you ever cried not from your not just from your eyes, but from your belly. You're heaving so heavily. 200 children began to cry with a heave from their belly. Because they never thought they would hear the words, you will be able to eat every day of your life. Most of these children ate once every three days. They were because I was willing to reach out to the boy coming down that hill who was naked, <laughs> who had been conceived as the leper from in my in my viewpoint, he was like the leper, a little untouchable. <laughs> but when I reached out and embraced him, it caused those children to say, "We can trust him." I don't know who the untouchables are in your community. But God's calling you to touch the untouchables. God's calling you to reach out to the unlovely. He's calling you to go after the 90 and 9. We become your hands extended for Matthew 25, beyond your church, beyond your city. When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. But my friends, Convoy can't do what you can do in Oak Ridge. Would you stand to your feet right now? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Now, first of all, there's nothing in the Bible that says bow your heads. But this gives you the opportunity to close yourself in with God. And I want you to ask yourself this single question. From the youngest of you to the oldest of you, ask yourself this question. Am I a child of God? I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I a child of God? Would you do it right now? I'm going to be quiet for 20 seconds. With your head still bowed. How many of you said, Bruce, I asked myself that question. And there was a yes that came up in my life. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Awesome. You can put it back down. There was some of you that didn't raise your hand. You say, well, Bruce, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. It's 
it's a biblical big, big deal. It says, the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. If you couldn't get a witness in your spirit that you're a child of God, there's something holding you back, and it's called sin. But Jesus wants to set you free from your sin today. If that's you, you'd say, Bruce, I do not want to walk out of here without knowing that Jesus has forgiven me my sin. I want you to raise that hand right now and say, Bruce, I want to get things right between me and God right now. Everybody's head's bowed. No one's looking to see if it's you. Your husband or wife is not poking your ribs. You're saying, I want to make sure. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, I want thank you. You may put your hand down after you've raised it. Anyone else that would join this individual, these individuals? Thank you. The Bible says we must confess with our mouth, we must believe in our heart that Jesus Christ risen from the grave. Those who will call upon the name of the Lord, he will in no wise cast out. Here it is. Salvation is two-sided coin. One side is confession. That's what I'm going to help you with. The other side is repentance. That means I'm making a 180 degree turn from the way I've been going to walk in a way to honor him. That's where your pastor comes in to help disciple you to walk that way and the pastoral leadership. But would you pray with me, everyone in you in this room? Dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe you lived on this earth. You died for me on this earth. You arose again for me on this earth. And you're sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. And I give my life to you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Pastor's going to come in about one minute. If you would say, Lord, if you can use anybody, will you use me? If you can use anybody to go after the one while the 99 are safe, use me. If you can go after, if you can use me to touch the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, Lord, I'm here. Will you use me? If you're willing for God to use you, this is what I said. We're going to come to the place where we make a commitment. Would you lift your hands toward heaven and say, Lord, if there's any way you can use me, here I am. Use me. Now I want your pastor to come pray over you and close this service. Thank you, Jesus.